If you are a uh, planner, we're going to be in John chapter 4 in a minute. But I want to, I'm starting, a, there's a, like a little mini series I'm going to do here. Uh, three weeks, I'm going to talk about connection. Um, connection. And in so doing, I want to kind of piggyback on where we were last week, where I was kind of laying out uh, the, that we're, we're called to delight in God, to develop one another in Christ, and then to deploy into the world. And the, how do we do that? We do that via connection. Uh, we connect with God, we connect with each other, and we connect with God's work in the world. So in the next three weeks, I'm going to talk about connection. So today is connecting with God in worship, personal worship, corporate worship. Uh, then we'll talk about connecting with each other, predominantly in the church, but that'll have some hints of relationship generally in, in there. And then the last week, uh, the third week of the series, we'll talk about connecting to God's work in the world. And this is significant. I didn't pull these things uh, out, of the, out of thin air, but these are the three arenas of relationship uh, that God has created us for. He's created us for himself. He's created us for one another. And he's created us to be his co-workers in this world. He's created us for himself. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, I'm not going to preach these, but this is just a highlight. All right. We go back to Genesis 1 and 2. God has made humanity in his own image. We bear the image of God in a way that nothing else and no one else in creation claims, can claim. So we're made not only in the image of God, but being made in the image of God, we're made for relationship with him. We see Adam and Eve before sin entered in. They're walking with God in the cool of the Garden of Eden. They're, they're fellowshipping with God face to face that there's something innate within us that longs for that. To see God, to know him intimately without any sort of interruptions, without any sort of intermediary. And this is how we're supposed to be. And we know the story it didn't quite work out that way. Sin entered in. Humanity chose our own way. And in choosing our own way, we forsook or left off the face of God, so that we could seek our own face in other things. And this is what idolatry does. But it disrupts our relationship. And so uh, we're made for a relationship with God, but sin disrupts that relationship. But not only does sin disrupt our relationship with God vertically, sin disrupts our relationship with each other. We see Adam and Eve, their relationship is jacked up. We see the next generation, Cain and Abel, you know what happened there? Miss Donna had a, yesterday we were getting ready for VBS, and, but she teaches the kids children's church down here. And, she, and I was getting ready in the preschool room, uh, and because that's when I'm, I'm teaching preschool, you'll pray, pray for me. Um, that, uh, but she, was, she, she had to come and she had her little prop for the lesson today, and she had a rock. And I said, oh, you're teaching Cain and Abel to the little ones. And uh, so it's a morbid preacher joke uh no it's it's where jacob used a rock for a pillow and so anyways uh but we know with cain cain and abel right that sin interrupted that what ought to be a a a good relationship between brothers cain ends up slaying his brother in the field so human relationships are disjointed they're not as they ought to be all flowing because our relationship with God is jacked up. Our relationship with each other is jacked up. And the one that we and you might have thought of those things before, but perhaps the insight that you have not thought of before 
is that not only is our relationship with God messed up and our horizontal relationship with other people messed up, but that our work relationship, our purpose is left off and is jacked up as well. Adam and Eve were made to be under regents, and that might be a fancy word for you. They're made to be king and queen and God's co-workers. Do you remember what God told them? He blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. That they were to come alongside into God's work, into God's purpose for them. And to see the order and the beauty of the Garden of Eden stretch from sea to sea, from east to west, from north to south. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, I, am, I feel purposeless. I feel adrift. Or you might be here where you're saying, my relationship is not with my wife, with my son, with my daughter, with my neighbor. With my grandkids, fill in. We are a network of relationships, but they're not what they ought to be. Everyone is backbiting. Nobody trusts each other. Family reunions should be happy, but they feel like they're some part of like a spy novel where everybody is working against each other. Maybe it's just my my family reunions aren't like that. But uh, in case case my family is watching, don't worry, guys. Uh, But maybe that's like that for you, where you feel disjointed, you you, you struggle with connection with other people. Uh, And it's so easy to stop at the symptoms. And we'll talk about those in the next couple weeks. It's so easy to stop at the symptoms. But what I want you to see is that there's an interconnection between our connection with God and our connection with other people and our connection to a purposeful, flourishing life. So that life is best lived when we are fully connected. Life is best lived when we are fully connected. When we're connected to God, we're connected genuinely to other people. And then we're connected to God's purpose for us in the world. So this is where we're going. Uh, So this morning we're talking about being connected to God. So I want to read to you. John chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. And as you stand, just know that we're dropping into the middle of a a narrative. Um, I wasn't going to read 26 verses to you, uh, but maybe maybe I should have. But uh, we're going to read 13 through 26 and just know we're dropping into Jesus's interaction, his dialogue, conversation with the woman at the well. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So hear the word of God. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. 
But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am He. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the invitation of this moment, for the imperative of this moment, that we might know you as you have made yourself known. So God, would you give us grace to position ourselves, to posture ourselves underneath your word, believing that you have spoken. That this is God breathed and we have heard your word. So give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that are soft to the work of the spirit. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away. But your word will never pass away. So God, would you speak to us? Would we hear in faith, believing that you are going to speak? Speak, Father. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Back in the dark ages of 2005, (laughs) uh, I had a laptop. It was my, I had, a, I had an Apple, a Mac, uh, a MacBook. I don't know if it was a MacBook or a Pro. I don't think, anyway, I don't think it was a Pro because I'm not a Pro. Uh, but I went on a trip. I went, it was after Katrina. And I, if for you, don't, those of you who don't know my story, I'm, I'm not going to give you all of my story. Uh, but I was in seminary after college. Uh, I went to New Orleans for, there's a Baptist seminary there. And I did a year of work, working on my Masters of Divinity or Master of Divinity. Um, I feel like a ninja when I say master of divinity. Um, <laughs> stupid, I'm sorry. Uh, but, but I was working on that degree. I was working on my master's. And, and I did a year of work and then uh, did the summer. And then two weeks of classes. And then Hurricane Katrina came. And just it was like a nuclear bomb on my life and everything. But this is, that's not about this. This isn't about that. Uh, but... I had signed up for a trip with, our, with the school, what's called a Reformation Cities Tour. And it was awesome. We, we flew into Berlin, and this is back before COVID, so you just had to you know, worry about flu and whatever else you pick up on airplanes. But uh, we, we flew into Berlin, and we, we took a bus down, and we went through Wittenberg, where Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses, and we saw that church and his house and all sorts of stuff. We, we saw where some of the, the, the 17th century Anabaptists were persecuted. We saw where they were imprisoned, and the, the, one of the caves that they worshipped in. And uh, then we went down into Switzerland. We, we went to Zurich and saw uh, the Grossmünster, which is this fun, fun to say, where Heinrich uh, or Bullinger. Anyways, I'm nerd now. Anyway, so I saw all these Reformation places. We ended up, we finished in Geneva, saw Calvin's church and house and museum, and we flew from Geneva over back over here. But one night we stopped by uh, Neuschwanstein. Everybody know where, anybody? I knew it. I was waiting for you guys. Uh, it was, it's, in, it's, a, it's a castle in Germany, and it's the model that Disney 
modeled the, the Cinderella's castle after. So if you go Google uh, Cinderella castle in Germany, you're gonna, it's going to pop up Neuschwanstein, which is this absolutely incredible place. It's a beautiful castle. It's beautiful, like on the mountains, and you can walk around, and you see all these waterfalls. It's nuts. But one night we're staying there, and I have one of my best friends was on the trip with me. Uh, and there's, there's funny stories there, but I'm not going to tell them because we have things to do. Um, there's a point to the story. Um, and so, I, but we were with, in the hotel room and I said, Hey, I have my, I have my new laptop. Uh, we can, we can, for, for some of you younger guys and girls, uh, there were these things called DVDs. Okay. Y'all think this isn't a thing, but other people don't know. Okay. Uh, that there were, that, so we put a DVD into my laptop uh, and, and of course, the battery wasn't wasn't really ready, so I had to plug it in. I had to plug it in there. And if you don't know this, okay, if you're about to travel to Europe, it's not the same. The prongs are not the same, and you need something more just to. Anyways, you know, I plug it in. I have a little adapter. I bought at Radio Shack, which I don't even know if they still exist. And I plugged it in, and we're watching whatever movie it is. You know, something something super manly. I'm sure, like Braveheart. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, all of a sudden, we're like, what's that smell? It's like, we're thinking, you know, it's, it's kind of cooler outside. It's fall. Fall is October in, uh, in Germany. So I'm thinking, oh, it's kind of chilly outside. Maybe they just kicked on their heat. And it's like the, the heat strips at your house when you turn on the heat for the first time. And it's kind of smelling. And I was like, no, it gets, it gets a little bit. It's a little intense. The, the smell of burning plastic. And, uh, and I'm think, we're like kind of sniffing around. And, and all of a sudden, like... You know, it's like we were in an interactive uh, movie because as, as this war, whatever scene is going on, there's all of a sudden there's like real smoke coming up behind it. <laughs> I was like, these DVDs are great, you know. Um, and lo and behold, I was about to set the hotel on fire as my, my adapter is melting. And, you know, and of course, then we panic and, uh, and if you pull it out of the wall and we didn't get to watch our movie. But my laptop survived, which is great somehow. Um, but it, we had a bad connection, all of that to circle around to uh, a bad connection uh, and that we were distracted uh, by by the, the what was right before us, you know, because because the movie wasn't interrupted. The computer wasn't messed up necessarily. Everything was working fine. But behind the scenes, that which is sort of fundamental to what's going on in the foreground, the connection to the electricity that was messed up. And so inevitably, if we had let things go, either the hotel would have caught on fire, my, my laptop would have caught on fire, we would have died from smoke inhalation, or something else bad would have happened. Uh, and we had a, it's kind of a funny story, but it's an illustration that sometimes the, the, the issues of brokenness in our lives, where things aren't, we know that it's not what it ought to be, where things are disjointed, they're off, uh, and it's easy to look at the symptoms but not diagnose the disease. It's easy to say things are going great right here, but I, something stinks in the background. I know, and you know it, like you've experienced this, things aren't as they ought to be. This relationship that should be bringing me fullness and, and joy, there's, there's something missing. Why don't I have contentment when I have everything that I could ask for? have a great family and a great job and a great house and live in a free land. Why am I not full? And I want to put before you that the reason that we experience those kind of things, the reason that, that you and I go through different seasons where, well, things aren't as they ought to be, or I'm not as, 
I'm not as joyful as I think I should be. That maybe you need to not just look at the symptoms. Maybe you should kind of crack the hood. I'm using a lot of mixed metaphors here. But maybe you should go behind the scenes and say, what is my relationship with God like? Can I say that I am connected to the Lord? Connected. Do I have a personal living relationship with the Lord Jesus? And does his spirit live in me? Do do I know him or do I know about him? I think this is the fundamental question because the fundamental problem that we have in this world is not the symptoms. That's not the main problem. But whenever you go to someone and you say, hey, you know, what's going on in your life? They begin to list these things out. Well, if I got a better fill in the blank, if I got a better job that was less demanding and paid me more. If I got a better partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, or if you're late in the game, husband, wife, then maybe I would finally find fulfillment. Maybe if I land at a different church with a better preacher and better music. In a better building. Maybe then I'll, I'll, things would begin to click. Maybe if I move towns. Maybe if I move to Sri Lanka. Or Singapore. I don't know. Suriname. What are the places start, start with S? I'm a Baptist preacher, so I just fall into alliteration. I'm sorry. It just happens. Uh, maybe if I go somewhere else, then I'll, I'll, I'll experience fullness. I'll be chasing this... This feeling. And you could change all of those things. You could overhaul your whole life. You could hit the reset button on your work, your job, your family, as some people try to do. And you will never find fulfillment. And you will never be flourishing. You'll never be life at its full. Because all of those things, the joy of them flows from somewhere else. The beauty of our connection to other people and our connection to purpose in this world flows from God into our lives. God is the the bubbling brook of human flourishing. God is the stream that flows into our our lives that, that fills up the cup. And that if we're not going to work there, if you're not going to look at your relationship with him, then there's little wonder why your horizontal relationships, they might be grand and, you know, wonderful. But there's no wonder they don't give you the satisfaction or the fulfillment that they you feel like they ought to because you're putting something on them that they can't bear. You understand what I mean? It's like you're trying to build a house. And all you have are cracked cinder blocks. And you put all of the weight of the foundation, you begin to put the, the I'm not a builder, so it's going to become evident, but you put the, stu- the, 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 the flooring and the, the joists and the subflooring and the floor and the furniture and the walls and the roof and all of this weight, what's going to happen to the cracked cinder blocks? They're going to collapse. They're going to break. All those cracks are going to be revealed. And when you try to put all of your flourishing, all of your purpose, all of your hopes and dreams on other people alone, the love that you're seeking to show them will actually crush them. 
This is true in families. This is true in work relationships. Whatever the context is, when you try to make it something, they're supposed to carry your joy and they're supposed to carry your life. You get collapse. The relationship can't handle it. And you get a little bit of a wisp of this with our woman at the well. Jesus is traveling and he stops in Samaria at a, at a town called Sychar. And he went, goes to a well that was dug by Jacob. I wasn't around then, but this is the, the patriarch Jacob, uh, the son of Isaac, grandson of Abraham. Uh, and he stops there to get a drink. He's wearied after his journey. And this woman comes out all by herself. So you know she's, she's, she's on the edges of society. She's, she's, she's not acceptable company for some reason. Usually there would be a flock of people going to the well at the same time in the cool of the day, in the morning, in the evening. But she's coming by herself and there's Jesus. And they begin to have this conversation, which is a shocking conversation that Jews and Samaritans don't get together. They don't like each other. Particularly as a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman, they're just, they don't, they're not going to interact with one another. And Jesus finally comes to every, what, where we began to read. Everyone who drinks of this water will get thirsty again. But consider just, just quickly, is, is water important? It's not a trick question, right? It's not. What happens if you refuse to drink water? Or drink any liquids, really. What, what, what happens to your body after a few days? You're going to trip. You're going to die. So there's an there's a illusion that's happening here. That Jesus is offering something that is of greater importance that, to us than physical water. And physical water is like number one importance thing. That if you don't drink, you die. And so what Jesus begins to offer is saying, this is equally important. It's actually greater of importance because you have to continue pouring in water if you're going to continue living. Everyone who drinks of this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give will never get thirsty again. So that there is something about Jesus that that undercurrent of longing that you're experiencing that's manifesting in all of these different places, the taproot of that, the center of that longing where you're saying that relationship's not satisfying, that lifestyle's not satisfying, that work is not satisfying, this political climate is not satisfying, the taproot of all of that longing, all of your hopes and your dreams... The taproot flows from God. All of your longings find their location. They find their meeting point, their satisfaction in Christ. You probably have like a million spinoffs of that that I can't chase right now. But your longings point to something. Your longings for acceptance, to be approved, to be recognized, to be joyful, happy, successful. All of these things point backwards to who you're supposed to be before God. 
that you long for acceptance because you haven't found acceptance before God. You long to be noteworthy because you think somehow you need to stand out from everyone else to prove your worth because you haven't found your worth in God. We could trace each one of these back to the behind the scenes disconnection between you and God. And Jesus says, I can bring you fullness. I can bring you connection. I'm offering something to you. And in fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up him for eternal life. That Jesus doesn't just offer you a a one shot, you're never thirsty again. But he offers to come into your life to open up the well of the Spirit of God so that the life-giving waters of Christ flow in your life day in and day out. A well that can't be stopped up. A well that can't be covered up. A well that can't be undone no matter your circumstances. That Jesus offers to come in and right the ship, so to speak. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water and I won't get thirsty. And she's immediately thinking about, well, I won't have to lug water all the way from the well back to my house and back and forth. I won't, I'll have this. It'll be it, God will solve my inconvenience. Jesus will solve my inconvenience. And so often our expectations of our relationship with Jesus stop there. God will solve my inconvenience. He'll give me a good parking spot at the grocery store. He'll help me find the right person. I won't have to go around to all of these places trying to find the right mate or right boyfriend, girlfriend, friend. He'll give me the right job. He'll solve my inconvenience. And dear ones, God cares about all those things, but he cares about something more in you. He cares that you are one made in the image of God, and yet you are sold out to sin. If you are not in Jesus, nothing in this world will ever satisfy you fully. It will come and it will go. All that shimmers in this world is sure to fade. A pagan rock band said that. Is that ever clear, I think? Did I just cite Everclear in a sermon? (laughs) Scrub that from the video. We can't do that. We don't know how to do that. Um, But everything that, that promises to fulfill you in this life, if it is disjointed from God, ultimately it won't fulfill you permanently. And so Jesus begins, there's, there's something in this woman's life that's, that's blocking, that's inhibiting, that's, that she's not flourishing, she's not experiencing the, the life-giving flow of God's presence in her life. And so Jesus has to nail that down. He says, go call your husband. You imagine her look on her face. She's like, I just wanted some water. I left the house today just wanting some water. And maybe that's you. I left the house today. I, you know, I, somebody's, somebody was playing music that you knew. Maybe your kids are going to VBS. Maybe you're visiting with family and somebody, somebody dragged you here. And you're thinking you're just going to have your church for the day. But dear one, if you are going to be 
connected to God, reconciled to God in new relationship, that which is getting in the way of your relationship with God has to be nailed down and done away with. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 that your iniquities, our sin, is separating us from God. That the reason why all of these good gifts in your life aren't fulfilling to you is that because you are disconnected from God in sin. Now what's sin? What's any rebellion against God? It's any dishonoring of God, any breaking of God's law. Saying, I'm going to be my own king, my own queen. I'm going to find my own way. I'm going to say what is true and what is right, what is up and what is down. I don't need God. I'm going to turn away from the face of God so that I can look at these other things. Go call your husband. And some of you, maybe that's the message. Go call your husband. Some of you, go call your wife. Go call your children. Go look in the mirror and say, what are your hopes and your dreams? What is it? See, sin is a broad category, but if God is going to do his work in your life, you've got to get specific with him. You've got to crack that open and say, Lord, here's my mess. Here's this addiction that I've been teasing out for years, whether it's substance or behavior. Here's this relationship where I've been stringing this girl along for years and years and I refuse to put a ring on the finger. Or vice versa, a girl with a guy. Here's the way that I'm treating my wife and treating my children. I'm not honoring her as Christ loves the church and I'm not serving my kids by bringing them up in the love and admonition of the Lord. Lord, look at this. And until you get real with God, he already knows, by the way, you're not pulling some card trick and saying, God really can't see. I've got this giant trash dump in my backyard, but I laid a tarp over it and God doesn't know it's there. Guys, he knows it's there. And that's going to be an anchor that weighs down your joy, fulfillment, and purpose in this life. And it will put you at risk in the life to come. So you need to go out back. Say, Jesus, come along with me. You already know it's here, but here it is. Give me grace to leave it. Go and call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. No, actually, you've had a handful of husbands. And you're with a guy now that's not your husband. And I know this is easy right now for, you know, it would be really easy to come and drop the hammer. Other than the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, one. And then two, this story is great because Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, ha ha, showed you, you wicked woman, and walk off. But too often, that's how we interact with people who are far from God. Look at your sin. Deal with that. No. Right? All of us have our trash out back. Some of us, we, Jesus has his backhoe back there and he's digging it out for us. He's digging it out and he's putting fertile ground. He's beginning to plant grass and put a garden. He's making something beautiful back there, but it's not done yet. And wherever you are right now, whatever your backyard looks like, 
please follow the metaphor. Whatever your life looks like, you have an opportunity right now to invite Jesus in and to make it something beautiful. He can make something beautiful of your mess. And this is precisely what he does with this woman. He says, your mess does not exempt you from the grace of God. It actually only qualifies you for the grace of God. Do you get that? Your mess, your garbage, your sin, your brokenness, whatever your past looks like, it does not exempt you from the grace of God. It only qualifies you. It only says, yes, I need what Jesus offers. See, the hard thing about the Pharisees is that they had packed down their garbage so much, they laid some topsoil on the top of it, they planted some grass on it, and say, look how great we are. And they refused to get real with God. All they wanted to say is say, look at my righteousness. Look at how much I've accomplished. Look at all that I've done. In my old neighborhood, I'll wrap up in a second, maybe. Uh, in my old neighborhood, you know, they, they built our house and they were finishing. And two different companies, right? Somebody else built our house. Uh, and then another company was filling out some of the other houses. And back when we had that, all that rain in 2015, remember the big flood, the 500-year flood, 1,000-year flood, million-year flood. Like, how do y'all know? You don't know. Anyway, um, but a neighbor, like, across, kind of catty corner to us, um, their whole yard just, because the builder had been using their backyard as a dumping spot for all of their construction trash. And on all that rain came. And all of a sudden there's like stuff collapsing over here and there's pointy objects sticking up over here. And there's, it's just their backyard is a mess. And then you're thinking, what? And you think a sink, sinkhole opened up in Elgin, South Carolina with all of our sand. No, it was the builder. But they had expertly poured in dirt, put grass over it, just dastardly. You know, that, that was fun, fun in the courts for them. I, didn't, I don't know. Um, that's what the Pharisees did. But eventually, dear one, eventually your self-righteousness, where you think I'm so accomplished, I'm so good, I've done all these good things, I go to church and I do my, you know, I I pay my money, I put my money in the the plate, pay it online, I serve, look at all that stuff I've done. I stop for people on the side of the road, I give hungry people food, look at me. And if you've never invited Jesus back there, All you're doing is laying topsoil on a garbage heap that one day will be revealed, either in this life or in the life to come. So get real with God and say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and it's actually my mess that makes me ready for the kingdom of God, not my righteousness. It's my mess, not my goodness that I've cultivated on my own. So wherever you are right now, you have an invitation You have an invitation to come to the waters of Christ. Come be satisfied. Come be fulfilled. But come be forgiven. That Jesus is the one who comes and and takes that thing, that sin, that relationship, that pride and idolatry, and He takes that sin and He removes it so that the life-giving waters of the presence of God may flow into our lives. But if Jesus never gets in and does that hard work, those waters will never flow. He's the fountain. So turn to Jesus with everything you have. Pull all the skeletons out of the closet, spring cleaning, lay it all on the kitchen floor. This is my life, Jesus. 
Bring me to you. And what's so profound, I didn't mean to talk about the scripture today, but it just strikes me. In 1 Peter, it's one of my favorites, 1 Peter 3. Um, for Christ also suffered, 1 Peter three eighteen. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. He's the only righteous one, and he died for the unrighteous, which is us and everyone else. That, why? That he might bring you to God. That he might connect you to the fountain. That he might connect you to the source of life and the source of fullness and the source of purpose. He might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So that he might bring you to God. So church, go call your husband. Go call your wife. Get real with God with whatever garbage you have. And say, Jesus, dig all this out and fill it in. Fill it in with your goodness. Fill it in with the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and self-control. Fill it in, Lord, with the presence of the Spirit that a beautiful garden might grow. And that through me, other people might be blessed. God wants true worshipers. But true worshipers who worship in spirit and truth are people who have been changed by the grace of God in Christ. They've had their sins forgiven. They've had welcomed Jesus into their trash heap. And he's got to work in it. So wherever you are, know you, you individually have an invitation to Jesus. And that there's nothing in your life. I take it back. The only thing in your life that would prevent you from coming is believing that you don't need what he offers. But you do. But would you imagine with me, what would it look like if this were a church full? If, if we all, in a moment when we're all responding, when we're singing and we're thinking about what God is telling us through his word, what would it look like for our church if we were those people, all of us, and say, whatever, whatever capacity, some of us, we've never invited Jesus into our lives. And we know it. We might have a good shell on the outside, but things are a wreck on the inside. What would it look like if you invited Jesus in that he might forgive you and begin his work of grace in your life? It would be painful at the start, but it's so good. Some of you have invited Jesus into your life, but you, there's something that you, you just won't let go of. You won't invite him into the hurt. Something you've suffered in the past that wasn't your fault. Some trauma or abuse. That doesn't exempt you from the good hand of God in Jesus. He welcomes you. Open it up to him in prayer and say, God, would you come and bring healing here? There might be some secret sin that, that Christian you've never let go of. You've invited Jesus into the backyard, but you keep it hidden in the shed. And you need to open that up to him. What would it look like in our church if the life-giving waters of Christ Amen. flowed through each one of us? How might our 
fellowship be transformed? How might our ministry to our neighbors be transformed? What would it look like in our community where families are being reconciled? Where addictions are being dropped? Where children are being loved? What would it look like? Dear ones, this is something God, only God can do. But it's something God can do. He can connect you to himself and bring new life wherever you are. In whatever context he finds you, he is able. So in a moment when we sing, this is the invitation. Is there something there? Is there something, is there a rock blocking the path? Is there some unresolved issue? Some loss? Some difficulty from your past? Or is there some sin that you need to lay down before God and say, Lord, come in. I can't fix this. And you need to know that he will. And he will connect you to God. Bring you to God so that you can have new life in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the beauty of Jesus and the invitation to be connected to you in true life and in true worship. For only you are worthy. We thank you for the power of the gospel. The gospel is power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. It is powerful in us through faith. And if we would come to God, we must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. New life. New joy. Flourishing in this life. Fullness. Lord, they're only possible through faith. So would you stir up faith by your grace in us that we might believe that Jesus, you are for us and that you are able and mighty to save. Give some that you are calling now. Give them the grace, the ability to respond as you would lead them. Some who need to trust you for the first time to cry out in faith. They need to forsake their self-righteousness their own self-perceived goodness and come to you. For those who for so long have believed that their sin somehow prevented them from coming to Jesus, Lord, would you transform their understanding that they would see that their need in sin only makes them qualified to come. Let nothing hold them back. Lord, for your church, for your Christian, for your follower who continues to wrestle and battle. I pray that you would give them a fresh move of your power. And if there's something in their lives that they've been nursing that ought not be there, that in this moment you would give them grace to drop it and run afresh to Jesus. That, Lord, we might be a people connected to you, delighting in you above all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand as we sing, as we respond.